You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. Art of Love. Last week we started in this series, Art of Love, and it's really been cool to hear some of the feedback uh, from you guys as, as uh, I've talked to several of you throughout the week as how this has impacted you. What I'm hearing is that many of you are very excited about sharing with your friends about what God is doing in your life. And so what we talked about last week kind of hit it right on the head some of the things that are on your mind. God's doing some big things in my life. And I want to be able to talk about it more freely, but how do I say it? And so that's kind of what this deal is. It's, it's three weeks of just talking about what does it mean to share God's love. And, uh, and I think that maybe, maybe throughout the series you might find that uh, it's, it's not as hard as you thought. It's easier than you thought. In fact, it's something that you can actually do. I, uh, I know you're excited about it because, um, because of these. Um, you see these things back here, the coffee mugs? Yeah, uh, we, we've done a thing. If, if, you, if you missed out and you don't know what's going on, uh, basically we've got all these coffee mugs back there. Um, and we're doing this thing called Mug Your Neighbor, which is a pretty cool phrase I got from a friend. It's kind of like you're just going to jump in an alley and take all their money. And I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm saying you probably shouldn't. But uh, Mug Your Neighbor is really this. And, and, and basically it starts like this. Easter Sunday is just a few weeks away, right? It's coming up quick. When I said that back in February, we were thinking, what? Easter? And now we're like, oh, I saw the sun yesterday. I understand. It's almost Easter. And Easter Sunday is the best day of the entire year to be in church. Uh, first of all, it's a great day to invite your friends who don't go to church anywhere because um, it's a Sunday that people will come because it's kind of like a national holiday. People are like, hey, okay, what do you do on Easter Sunday? Well, we go to church and, and then we go have ham at grandma's house. That's what we do on Easter Sunday. But another reason why it's the most important Sunday of the year, the biggest Sunday of the year, is because it's what Christianity is all about. Like we make Christmas this awesome big thing because, quite honestly, because there's presents. Um, but, man, Easter is awesome because without Jesus raising from the dead, there's no Christianity. Like, that's, we're all liars or crazy. Like, so, that, that's a huge part of what uh, Easter is. And so, the thing about this mug your neighbor deal is, and the reason I feel like I understand that you guys really want to talk to your friends about it, is that uh, we're a church, some of you might wonder, like, how, how big is our church? People ask you, because for some reason that really matters. Uh, how big is the church you go to? Uh, we, we average about 120 to 130 people every week. And I think that's pretty awesome. I'm really pleased with our family here. I love the relationships they're building. But this is what's even cooler, that over the last month or so, you guys have signed up for, uh, oh, let me, let me back this up. So the Mug Your Neighbor deal is, we encourage you to get these mugs, sign up for a free mug that you can give to a friend as a gift and say, hey, listen, um, my, my church is doing this, this thing where we've got mugs and, uh, you know, just to give it to a friend. And I thought of you. I thought, I thought of you. I wanted you to have this mug. And you know what? Easter Sunday's coming up. I'd love to invite you to be a part of that with me. Come be a church with me. Whatever. Um, but so every mug that you sign up for represents a person that you would like to talk to about what's happening in your life with God. So check this out. Of a church this size, 165 mugs were signed up for. Like to me, that's, that's crazy. If all of you invited every single person that's on your heart to share with what God's doing in your life, can I just say this? When you invite someone to church, it's not about inviting them to church. Church is, is that's who we are. We, we are the church. We, remember the YMCA burned down? We were at the park that day. You remember what I said if you were there? We are the church. We are the church, not this building, not the YMCA, the body. Now, we're a family. I think about my family, and when I talk about family, like, I don't go, hey, let me invite you to my family. Or let me invite you to this event that my family's having. No, I'm like, dude, let me tell you about my brother. <laughs> let me tell you about my brother. He's in there to tell you some funny story, right? Let me tell you about my, my crazy uncle, my crazy aunt. Like, we've always got these stories like this, right? So don't invite your friends to church. Invite your friend to what is God is doing in your life. 
to, to your Let me tell you about my father, right? Let me tell you about my brothers and sisters. We don't kind of use that kind of language a lot here, brothers and sisters. But that's what the Bible says we are. We're brothers and sisters, people who are united under this family. And so 165 people. Listen, if you guys are excited about talking about what God, God's doing in your life, man, it's exciting to want to talk about it. And tell people who are in your life what's going on. So that, that's Mug Your Neighbor. If you did pick one up, I would encourage, or sign up for one. I encourage you to pick them up before you leave today. you got some time to think of creative ways to invite your friends uh, to Easter Sunday. But you know what? It, this card is an invite to Easter Sunday. If you've got a friend who's like, look, we're not even at the place where I'm inviting my friend to church. I just, I need to let them know I'm a Christian to start with or that I attend church to start with. You could take this card. You could put it to the side and be like, look, we got these mushrooms from our church. You said, give it to a friend. Your friend, I thought of you. Like, you know what's appropriate with your friends. Don't invite them to church. Invite them to this life that you're living. Um, but anyway, I can tell that you guys are excited about it because of the conversations I have. And, and when new friends come, so often I say, what, what is it that brings you here? And well, oh, I'm friends with so-and-so. You know, I can't, they invited me. I came. Inviting your friend to be a part of what you're doing is just one part of the art of love, Okay. And so I want to get into this art of love thing because I just want to skip all the stories and the anecdotal stuff and get to something that's really something that you can grab onto with your life. Uh, we talked last week about how the art of sharing God's love could be compared to maybe uh, painting and, and art, artistic work with color. And uh, we said last week there are three primary colors. What are they? You remember the three primary colors? Red, yellow, blue. Okay, and all color that we see is comprised of some combination or exclusion of these three colors. It's pretty amazing when you get right down to it. We looked at some famous pieces of art last week and showed how, wow, you know, these guys, these guys, Rembrandt and, and, and Da Vinci and, uh, Da Vinci is more of a scientist, Rembrandt and, um, I can't think of another artist right now off the top of my head. Not a single one. There's a lot of them though. There's a whole lot of artists and they, they paint pictures and they're beautiful. But they all use these, same three primary colors to build what they do. Uh, and the thing is, to have all three colors is a beautiful thing. Let's check out this picture that we looked at last week. This is the Starry Night, right? Vincent Van Gogh. There's a painter. Vincent Van Gogh. And um, Vincent Van Gogh, is this, this is this beautiful scene of what's happening. Now, this beautiful picture was created using three primary colors. If you saw this last week, then you're like, we already did this. If you weren't here last week, I'm showing you again. But what if, what if Van Gogh only had access to one of the primary colors? Let's say, for example, he only had access to the color red. Well, we've gone and we've, we've digitally taken out all the other colors. Check out this. Uh, this is what maybe the picture would have looked like if it only had red. Now, do you see it? What is it? It's the same picture. You see the little, the little church, the little uh, houses down here, maybe whatever that kind of mountain spire thing is. I don't know what that thing is. There's the swirls in the sky. But it's just reds. Sometimes... Sometimes the way that we approach God to people, we don't give them the full picture. We only give them like a piece of it. And maybe that's kind of what this is like. But let's go back. Let's look at that other picture again with all the color. Look how much more, more, more vivid it is, more bright and more colorful and more beautiful. The thing with the art of love is I think we can compare it to painting in the three primary colors. And that maybe there are three primary components to what it means to share God's love. That one by itself could work like red. You can see the picture. Last week we talked about the first primary component of sharing God's love. Does anybody remember what it was? Character. Great. Um, character. Character. And we said, remember that, you know, God, God uh, can, can remake our character. He can reshape us. He can cause us to be this wonderful light that shines in the dark places and the salt that preserves, preserves the world through our life. And it's really cool because our character is the one thing that anyone can really see about us without hardly even knowing us. Whether it's good or it's bad, people just kind of know that about you. So the first primary uh, kind of color or primary component of this art of love idea is character. One thing you can do is just be someone who is seeking godly character. 
You don't have to be perfect. God knows you're not. Your friends know you're not. In fact, don't even pretend to be perfect. But just do your best to exhibit the traits that God has available for us through, through his love. And when we do that, people can look at that. It's, it's one color of the art of love. But people can look at that and go, there's, there's something going on there. There's something good. There's something I want to be a part of. If you've ever experienced that, it's a, it's a crazy phenomenon. When someone comes up to you and says, I can just tell that you're a little bit different. Because, or, or maybe they don't say it that way. Maybe they say, man, I really like how you dealt with that. I noticed that you don't just get totally angry at work when everybody else is angry. Why is that? And what they're seeing is your character shine through. First primary color of sharing God's love. But this week we're going to talk about uh, kind of a step further. What if we added a layer to that? The second color. And so this is another C word because I want to make it kind of memorable. The first one is character. The second one is this. Community. Community. Community is kind of a loaded word. When I say community, you might think and fill in the blank. It's something... Maybe it's this neighborhood. Maybe that's your community. Maybe when you think community, you think a group of people that are bound together around a common bond. It, all those are correct. There's lots of different ways of understanding community. So that's why today what I want to do is take one, one look at it, a narrow view of what community is. But I want community to be kind of our peg word for understanding this idea of sharing God's love. And to do that, what I want to do is look at a story where I think Jesus sets up what it means to really use community. Community. To get into someone's life and show them God's love. And so we're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 19. Luke is there near the end of your Bible, if you've got the whole New and Old Testament. That last third of the Bible is the New Testament. And remember, that's the section of the Bible that talks about Jesus' life and the, the history of the early church and the teachings of the apostles. Really good section for us to get some day-to-day living out of. And we're going to be in the book of Luke, which is one of the four books that's uh, basically a biography of Jesus' life. Luke chapter 19, and where we find Jesus in Luke chapter 19, he's on one of his uh, kind of traveling tours. He spent about three and a half years just traveling from city to city, village to village, and doing teaching. He was going around, he was talking about what God was doing in the world and how he was going to make things different, and, and, and the kingdom of God is this really awesome thing he was going through. And where we find him in Luke chapter 19, we see him in a city called Jericho. You might have, if you grew up in church, you might have heard about Jericho from a song you sang as a kid. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. You remember that? A couple of you were shaking your heads. Some of you are like, that's a crazy song. I don't know. There's actually lots of crazy songs that could go with today's message. Um, but, you know, so Jericho, it's got a rich history, a lot of past, especially uh, people who grew up in that area in, in most modern-day Palestine. You know, there's, there's a lot going on in Jericho. But by this time, Jericho is this... Kind of lush, beautiful city, and, and the way that I read some descriptions of it this week where you can imagine roads, uh, kind of like some of these roads down Independence where there's these beautiful uh, trees that have been planted on purpose, and they've, they've created these spaces where people can go, uh, like, like public parks where people can meet. And so it's a good, pretty environment for Jesus to be teaching in. And so Jesus is in Jericho. And he's walking down the road. As usual, he's got a crowd of people that are coming with him. And we meet a guy named Zacchaeus. Enter into your mind, if you grew up in a church, the other crazy song we sang when we were kids. And if you don't know it, YouTube it. Church song about Zacchaeus is pretty cool. Teach it to your kids. Don't know the story. All right, Luke chapter 10. We're going to be, Luke chapter 19, we're going to be in verses 1 through 10, and we're going to start at verse 1. I, I want to check out this story about this guy Zacchaeus. Here we go. Jesus entered Jericho. As he was passing through, a man there by the name of Zacchaeus uh, was there. He was a chief tax collector. He was wealthy. And he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So we, we know three or maybe four things about Zacchaeus at the onset of the story. First, we know this. He was the chief tax collector. Okay? 
Pack that away in your mind. That's going to be really important to the story. Second thing we know is he was rich. It says he was a wealthy man. Also important part of the story. Third thing that's really important is that he wanted to see Jesus. Now, if you, if you know the song, what's the first thing that you definitely know about Jesus? He was a wee little man. Poor guy. Like, I hope that that is not how I'm remembered through history. Chris was a wee little man. We know these three things. The chief tax collector, he was rich, and, and he wanted to see Jesus. In Jesus' time, um, the Jewish people were under the control of the Roman government. And, uh, you know, they, they just kind of had to bow down to what the Romans wanted them to do legally and, and financially, especially with their taxes. And so there were certain people among the Jewish society who had to step up and take some of these government roles. People who had to step up and be leaders in the cities and people who had to be tax collectors. The tax collectors had a terrible reputation. In fact, in the Bible where we see people listing and, and talking about some of the sinful people that Jesus would often associate with himself with because he wanted to be light in the dark places, right? One of the lists would say, you see Jesus, he's hanging out, hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. And that's the list. Like the only specific vocations listed were prostitute and tax collector. And then all the other sinners. This is how the people viewed tax collectors. If you were a tax collector, you were considered a traitor to your people. Because you're working for the man. Not only that, you come with a reputation because tax collectors were also... Uh, the, the government didn't regulate the tax system like they do today. There's not all these nice forms that you fill out and it's all filed online and you've got to pass all these credibility standards to be able to even work in the tax system. It wasn't anything like that. You worked for the government, there was this much taxes that were due, and you would go to your people and you would get them at whatever cost it took. Maybe you get there and you realize the people couldn't afford it. Well, you could just take it. Or even more common, you would know what the taxes were in your mind, but you would go in and when you collected taxes, you could just... Collect however much you wanted to. Double, triple, quadruple, you didn't matter. And they couldn't stop you because you were a government official. So what are you doing? You're robbing from the hardworking citizens to fill your pockets. Notice it said he was a chief tax collector and he was a very wealthy man. I wonder how he got all that money. Zacchaeus came into this conversation with a, 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 a reputation, a bad reputation. But here's the thing. Zacchaeus is not the only person in this story who had a reputation. I've told you before, Jesus, when he would enter into a city, his reputation would precede him. People would run ahead because he was kind of this, this marvel of a teacher. When Jesus would talk, he would talk about things that people would just, I never thought about it like that. You ever had that moment? You're, you're watching something and it's just this eye-opening thing like, ah, oh, I never thought about it like that. And that's the kind of stuff that Jesus made people do. So people would hear Jesus preach and then they would run ahead to the next village where he was going to teach or the next city he was going to teach. And they'd say, this guy, Jesus is coming. He's an amazing teacher. You got to come out. And so that's why when he would come to a city, crowds would often greet him. Like at the city walls, the city gates, the city roads because they wanted to see him coming. Zacchaeus was not the only person in the story with a reputation. Jesus' reputation precedes him. And so what do we see Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus runs ahead of the crowd because he wanted to see who Jesus was. It didn't necessarily say he wanted to be like Jesus, he wanted to follow Jesus, but he had heard about Jesus and he just thought, I just want to see who Jesus is. So he runs ahead and he climbs a tree. Verse 5. Let's continue the story. It's a really short story. We're almost done. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up in the tree. And he said, if you know the song, 
You want to do it? Let's do it. Let's just do it. Okay, let's do it. Please bear with us if you have no idea what this song is. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. Zacchaeus was up this tree. Jesus looks up and he says, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and he welcomed him gladly. This story moves a little fast for me. Like I said, it's a short story. I wish I would have known more. Like what was Jesus' reaction when he's walking down? He's walking with like some of his closest followers, his disciples, and he's just like, that dude in a tree? Wow, man, people are really going on the great lengths. It's like, you know, is he in a tree? Because there's a couple things that, that you gotta, you got to know about this culture. Um, first of all, Zacchaeus runs ahead of the crowd to see Jesus. Now, a lot of the reading that I've done, especially, and, and there's another story in the Bible that's very important. This is this grown man, he, start, he starts running. And so there's a lot of kind of discussion about Middle Eastern culture and men running. You want to know the story? This is the bottom line. They don't. They don't. It's, it's, not, it's undignified to run because whatever's over there will still be there when I get there. There's something about Jesus, though, that makes Zacchaeus want to run. It's interesting that this is included in the story. He ran. The other thing is that I just don't know what the awkwardness of climbing a tree in sandals and like a tunic are like. Like you don't want to stand under that tree. I'm just telling you. <laughs> and above all that, you've got Jesus who calls you out. Hey, Zachy, get out of the tree, man. Now, I, you're, um, you ever had a chance to go see like your favorite concert, uh, your favorite band, maybe go see uh, an author or an actor or an actress. Uh, maybe, I, I remember my, when my... Uh, when I was a kid, I can't remember whether it was um, it was Bill Clinton or, or, or George Bush, but one of the, one of them, I can't remember which term, I can't even remember how old I was, but he came to a city near us, and I remember my dad got to go, and he got to see the president, and that's that's really cool. So you go and you see this person that's that he's famous, you heard all about him, and what did you go to do? To see him, right? That's what you go to go hear that band, you went to go hear the author, you went to go you know see the actor or the actress, you, you went to go see them. Now, what if while you're in the audience to see them, they look at you and you're in a humble situation up a tree and they call you out by name? And not only that, but they say, hey, I'd like to spend some time at your house. And this is where Zacchaeus is. It's kind of like this amazing situation. Um, Jesus says, I want to spend some time with you. I want to go to your house. I think he saw that there was something going on in Zacchaeus' life. That needed some investigation. It's interesting that the crowd was not pleased with Jesus' decision. This crowd, they're all Jesus pleasers at the moment. That he's the big rabbi coming through town, the big teacher. They're like, oh yeah, let's... And then, and then this is what they say in verse 7. It says, all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. What? Like this guy is this, this religious teacher. He's this great moral man. He says all these amazing things. We all came to see him too. Jesus, you come to my house. You come to my house, Jesus. Zacchaeus? What? I think it's pretty important because one, I think it's an indicator of how much people despise Zacchaeus. Think about that because this is a real person and just imagine you're that guy. Like even if you're doing well and you're wealthy because you're exploiting them, there's this part of you that's lonely. And we see this in all the time in famous people who at the end of their life end up depressed or overdosing on drugs or just isolate themselves because it's just like, you know what, I, just, I really just wish people were my friends. And so, but, you know, that's important to understand about Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus' story. But the second thing is, I think it's the way people who have already found Jesus in their life like today, I think it's often how some of those people, maybe it's you, can tend to view people who 
haven't found Jesus yet. Maybe you've got someone that works with you and you just kind of judge them. Like, man, well, pff, you would do that, you know. You tax collector, you Zacchaeus, you sinner. And we say, what? He's going to be the guest of sinners? Yeah. So Jesus does. Thank goodness. I'm one of them. And Jesus says, I, I, I want to be with you. I want to spend some time with you. Um, and this crowd of, I don't know, dozens, maybe hundreds. This, this is not a time where you get a number of how many people were following Jesus, but it was a lot, normally an entourage. Jesus could have done a lot of different things. He, he could have just ignored Zacchaeus. <laughs> Dude up a tree. Cool. I mean, maybe there were times, surely there were times where there's people up trees and he just walked by him. I don't know. Uh, he could have let someone else deal with him. Jesus was an important guy. And he had, like I said, an entourage. And he could have got with Peter. Peter often was the spokesman for Jesus. Peter, check out that guy. Make sure he's good. I got a feeling something, you know. He could have done a lot of different things. But instead, listen to this. He had his eyes open. And he saw the chief tax collector in a tree. So he went to his house. After spending some time with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was ready for a change. I don't know what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. I don't know. I wish we had this recorded. I don't know what the whole conversation was. I don't know if they sat down and they studied, you know, some Old Testament scripture or if Jesus like prayed with him. I don't know. But whatever the case, Zacchaeus ends up making this huge decision. He said, I'm going to give away, uh, I'm, I'm going to give away my wealth to the poor now. And, and I'm going to take the money that I've taken from other people and I'm going to, I'm going to give it back to the people that I've stolen from. In fact, if I've stolen from them, I'm going to give them four times more than what I took from them. This Zacchaeus has this huge transformation moment. But what I want to do is look at verse 9. Verse 9. Look at verse 9. This is what he says. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. He's talking to Zacchaeus. Because this man, Zacchaeus too, is a son of Abraham. Like all the people that were there, they were Jews. And the Jews called themselves son of Abraham. Because he was like their great forefather. He says, Zacchaeus, you're no different. You're just as much a, a, a son of Abraham as everybody else, but you've made a lot of mistakes. But listen, today salvation has come to this house. In verse 10, for the son of man, that's a nickname for Jesus that often you see. The son of man, or Jesus, came to seek and save that which was lost. The son of man came to save that which was lost. Did you catch that? This is one of the places where we hear from Jesus' mouth what his purpose was. His mission. Like a lot of times we, we, we think about God and we have a lot of ideas of what his purpose should be. God, I'm really struggling with these bills. Like, hook a brother up, right? Like I just, if you could just a little, little help here. And sometimes the things don't happen the way that we think that they should. Jesus never says like, I came so that you might pay your Time Warner cable bill on time. Like Jesus never said that. And sometimes like, man, I'm really, I'm really in... And we, and we go to these, God with all these requests and these ideas, but Jesus says clearly in a couple different places things like this. I came to seek and save what was lost. What does that mean? Think of lost as if you're on a journey and, and you've lost your way. You missed a turn. I've done that. You miss an exit and you're in one of those roads that's like a, a, an interstate highway and the next exit is 15 miles from there. You're like, all right, sweet. That went my whole day. I missed an exit. And you know what? We have all taken that detour. We've all gotten a little misguided a lot misguided, a little lost, a lot lost. And what we've done is we've got off the track from God and he's over there and we're over here. And what did Jesus say? I came to seek and save what was lost. Zacchaeus, I see you up there. Come down. I want to go to your house. I want to spend some time with you. What can we learn from this story? Okay, that's the story. That's the whole story. And they wrote a song about it. What can we learn from this story? 
as we talk through the primary components of sharing God's love with people, the primary colors of love, today I'm going to label the second one, like I said already, community. Now, there are a lot of ways you can view community. Is it the neighborhood? Is it your family? Is it the, the people that you're on a you know, t-ball team with, with your kids or whatever? What, what is your community? Well, yeah, we, all those things are community. So what I want to do is I want to hone down to one specific definition of community that we can latch onto as we look at the people in our life and say, I want to be in community with them. Okay, this, this is a great definition for community. Community is showing your love for someone by investing time in them. I'm going to say it again, some of you are note takers. Showing your love for someone by investing time in them. It's not that we're acquaintances. It's that, I like you, I think you're pretty cool. I want to spend time with you. I want to invest in you. I want to invest in this relationship. So, are you in community with anybody right now? Yeah, yeah. you you got people you spend time with. you got people that invest time in you. You invest time with others. Sometimes it's the people you work with. Sometimes it's the people that you live with. Sometimes it's just people that you keep up with from other periods of your life. And thanks to things like you know, Facebook and text messaging and, and cell phones, we can really bridge that gap. Community can be very broad. But here's what I want to make sure we understand. That when I talk about community today, what I'm talking about is investing time with people. And God is the master of this. Something when we view when we view God, sometimes we feel like God. Uh, there's this word. There's a, there's a specific type of, uh, of of theism called deism. Deism is also known as people who believe in a clockmaker God. Okay, this is very prominent uh, at the at the beginning of our nation. People like Thomas Jefferson are said to have been deists. A deist believes this, like a clockmaker God. God created the world. Sure, we'll give him that. He's God. He exists. He created the world like a clockmaker, and it works really good. But then he set it up on a shelf for it to wind down. And he walked away. Maybe you felt that way about God a little bit. God, God is over there and he's not really involved in my life. I want to show you this morning that's not true. God is the master of community. We're going to look at another place in one of the, the gospels, one of the stories about Jesus' life. This is going to be in John. Uh, John chapter 1. You can turn there. It will also be up on the screen. But what we're going to talk about is Jesus' uh, community building skills in John chapter 1 starting at verse 9 through 14. This is what it says. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. John is setting up the moment where he's about to say, Jesus came. Okay? And we're going to get there. So this whole passage is about Jesus. The true light that gives light to everyone is coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. It doesn't take much reading the story of Jesus or even paying attention to the world around us to see that people reject God. I mean, people, people do all the time. And so this passage says that he was in the world. In fact, he made the world and he came to the world, but the people rejected him. Yet, verse 12, all who did receive him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It looks like it's not on the screen. I apologize. That's my fault. To all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children born of natural, not of natural descent or human descension, but of God's will. Born of God. And listen to this. This is the last thing. So, rewind the picture. Jesus came into the world. The world rejected him. But people who accepted him are then called children of his. Verse 14 says this. And the Word, which is another nickname for Jesus, the Word, or Jesus, became flesh 
And he made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to say a word here. The word is community. See, God wanted community with us. He did create the world, but he didn't set it up on a shelf to wind down. Instead, he said, I want to put on flesh and I want to be with you. I want to show my love for you by investing time with you. And that verse, verse 14 says, the word became flesh. And listen to this. He made his dwelling among us. You could also translate that. Uh, he set up a tent in our, in our neighborhood. You could also set it up and translate it. He came to our house. So God, God really loves us. And he sees us up in the tree. And he says, I want to come to your house today. Community. The whole message of Jesus is that God came near. And that's what Jesus illustrates with Zacchaeus for us. He knows that you've done things that you're ashamed of. He knows that you don't always make the best choices. He's seen it. He knows. But what he wants more than anything is to be welcome in your home. So he can make it right again. Listen, today is about how we might share God's love with people in our life. Okay? And, and so, but right now, I, I want to ask you about you. I want to ask you about you. Let me take a second to say that maybe that's you. Maybe right now you feel a little far from God. Maybe you've deliberately gone off track for a while and, you, and you've kind of, you know, turned your back on God. Maybe it's just one of those phases of life. You know, life is just a roller coaster and you're in just one of those places where like, I just haven't really been seeking Him like I want to. But maybe that's you. And you've been on the run from God and you're not really sure where you stand with Him. Listen, he came to show you that he wants to be part of your house. He wants to be in community with you. And once you've accepted Jesus, once you go to him and say, yeah, 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 come into my house, be a part of my life, and you try to live for him, th this is where we take a step over to the next step. Okay, first of all, so, so know that. God wants to be in your life, and it's always available for you. But here's the next step, art of love. What if we then began building community the way that Jesus built community? You showed up at people's houses. Now, I know that's not our culture. In fact, don't show up at my house. I'm literally a person who's like, I'd love to hang out with you, but call. Like, um, you know, I want to be ready. Like, that's not our culture. But what's the, what's the principle? Be available for people. Be there in their life. Do what they do. Become God in flesh for them. There's this phrase that you might be the only Jesus that some people ever see. God put on skin so that he could be here, so that he could understand us, and so that we could look at him and go, yeah, you get me. And so what people in this world often need is someone else who goes, I get you. I get you, and let me point you to the one who can make it right. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. I'm not saying that you have to go downtown and look for random people up in trees. In fact, don't do that. That's probably dangerous. But something really cool happens with Jesus because as he's walking down the road and he looks up in the tree, did you notice what he did? He said, Zacchaeus, come down. He already knew Zacchaeus' name. He may have cheated because he's God. Okay, so he already knew Zacchaeus' name. But are there some people in your life that you already know their name? And maybe they're just kind of climbing up the tree to look into what you're doing because they're like, I, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing with your life and I kind of... I kind of want to know more about it. But to develop community the way that Jesus develops community is to have your eyes open for those friends. 
And to see them in their hurting. And to see them in their joy. And to see them when they're struggling. And to see them when they're succeeding. And to be walking with them side by side and saying, maybe not, hey, I want to go to your house today. You have no choice. But hey, why don't you come to my house? Let's grill out. Let's watch a game together. Let's go to the beach together. Let's go out on a girls' night out together. Let's get some babysitters and let them watch our kids and we can all go hang out. Let's do birthday parties together. Who are the people in your life that you already know their name? And it's possible that all they would need would be an invitation. And they would gladly go, oh man, I've been off track. Let's talk about that. Charlie was a student at summer camp. Uh, I work at this summer camp every summer. I've been doing it most of my life. And uh, he was probably one of the worst behaved kids I've ever had at summer camp. You ever had that kid? Some of you guys are teachers. Some of your parents are like, yeah, that's my kid. Sorry. Um, he was so bad, man, and, and always in trouble. And, uh, and some people say there are no bad kids. No, they're bad kids. Um, and uh, he would fight and cuss with other kids and scream. And, and uh, it, was, it was a Christian summer camp. And one what we just tried to do is love those kids. And uh, I remember one day uh, he went through the camp and he, was, he just started randomly stealing things. Like just stealing things. Like when I say randomly and stealing things, let me put this together for you. We would go in the bathrooms and those big plastic soap dispensers where you pump them and the soap comes out, gone. Like who takes those? Like what did you want to do? And they, and they were gone, like 10 of them, gone. Orange street cones that you like mark off parking places, gone. Fire hydrant, uh, fire hydrants, that'd be impressive. Fire uh, extinguishers, gone. Which by the way is like code violation. Shut the camp down, Okay. Things are gone. And here's the thing. This is sad, but the camp manager comes to one of us on staff and goes, this stuff's missing. It's kind of weird. I hate to say it, but I think maybe one of the campers took it. And everyone goes, it's Charlie. (laughs) Had had to have been Charlie. Meanwhile, we know Charlie's a troubled kid, and we don't want to just jump all over him. So one of us pulled him aside. Hey, bud. Hey, uh, listen. Some things have been missing. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. Uh, Soap dispensers, traffic cones, fire extinguishers. You know anything about that? Nope. Nope, you don't. Okay. You sure? No, we, go, we check his bunk. Under his bunk, stuffed, 10 soap dispensers, cones, fire extinguishers, under his mattress. Go back to Charlotte, so I just want to run this by you again. So you're telling me that if I went in your room right now and looked, I would not find soap dispensers, traffic cones, fire extinguishers. Nope, I didn't do it. Oh, come on, dude. Like, I don't, I don't want to, like, kick you out of camp, but you, this is dumb. Like, just fess up to it. So here's the thing. We, again, we understood Charlie's troubledness, and we said, okay, listen, let's just let's give him one more chance. We go over to him again and say, listen, whoever this is, we're, we're going to call the police, and there's going to be a full-scale investigation. There's going to be foot, fingerprints, everything. Uh, we're going to call the FBI. We're thinking about bringing in the military. I'm not lying. This actually happened. Um, <laughs> he's, like, eight years old. And... Um, Here's the thing. Now, if you didn't take it, that's, that's cool. But here's the thing. You, you seem to be pretty well plugged in. If you know anything, like if you could find them, if, you, if we could just get that stuff put back by the end of the day, I think we could avoid the whole thing, okay? So let's just, let's just see, you know, what crazy. You know, he comes back to one of us a couple hours later. Like, Man, listen, I don't know what happened, but I went in my room. <laughs> all this stuff was under my bed. <laughs> I put it all back, okay? I mean, whoever took it, like... I hope they're, I hope they're sorry. (laughs) Lie to me, man. Come on. Here's the thing. Like, we were there to love these kids. And so, 
I personally saw like this kid, Charlie, he, he needs some, he needs some love in his life. And so, and so later that day, I was like, Hey, bro, you, you want to go uh, play some volleyball out to, at the court? Um, he was often sitting by himself. I said, Yeah, we, we hit the volleyball around. And, uh, it was lunchtime. Staff will sit with the students and, at different tables. I, I made a point to sit near Charlie, just talk to him. And, and we did some other things throughout the week. And, you know, I found out that Charlie, man, he had a rough, he had a rough, he, he was a foster child who'd been bounced around from house to house to house to house to house. Couldn't get it. Couldn't get anything done at school because he was always in trouble. He had these different, you know, conditions, the attention disorders and things like that. That just and, and all of it stemmed back to to the family stuff that's going on. It was crazy, and I was just like, man, I'm so glad we didn't just send that kid home. Back to that. And by the end of the week, I just sat with him. I went to pick me table. I said, Charlie, why'd you steal all that stuff? He didn't deny it. He said, I don't know. I guess I just wanted somebody to notice. Now, this kid came back every summer for a long time. And, and, and his life didn't change at home. It didn't. Um, I think summer camp was just an easy babysitter for a week, maybe. And so that's why he did it. But I, later, was he, he had grown up. And I said, man, why, why do you keep coming back, man? Because I, I didn't gather that he really enjoyed it. Like, he was still causing trouble, still, like, taking junk. Why do you come back? And he said, I don't know. It's really the only place in my life where I feel like anybody loves me. See, Jesus came to seek and save what was lost. And there are people climbing trees to see it. And I'm not saying people who do bad things shouldn't be punished. (laughs) Or kids who disobey shouldn't be reprimanded. (laughs) They should. (laughs) That's my son. (laughs) Poor guy. But we can't get into people's life without community. To take the time, even though they might annoy the heck out of us, to sit down with them at lunch and talk about what's going on. To see if they want to get together and go see a movie. Don't invite your friends to church. You ever heard a preacher say that? Invite your friends to what God's doing in your life. There's a God and He can change everything for you. That's community. And let's do that together. Let me pray. God, we love you. And uh, it's just the stories that come out of your work in this world astound me. I I don't know where Charlie is. I lost track with him after camp. It just, I don't know. I pray for him right now. And um, ask that you just uh, be with people like him who kind of have it rough to start with. I, I pray for those of us who are trying to be on your path. That as we seek to share your love with people, we make a point to keep our eyes open for Zacchaeus and Charlie and whoever else we know by name, whether it's through giving them a, a coffee mug or realizing that it's not time for that yet, that we just need to maybe spend some more time with them. Helps to love them enough to share. Thank you, God, for giving us this chance to talk about this stuff. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.